1: Welcome to the Career Confidant. This is your host, Marie Ziminoff, and we're glad that you're joining us today to learn how you can take control of your own career, whether you want to move up, move out, or start something new for yourself. You'll get the tools and resources that you need to do that here on the Career Confidant. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the insights that I gained from the International Coach Federation's Converge event in Washington DC last week we had a well they had 1600 coaches come together to talk about strategies and improving their coaching techniques and business development so that they can help more people be more successful in their work life and All all of those things. So they had life coaches, career coaches, leadership coaches, all different types of people come together to share ideas and learn from some of the leaders in the field. So I'm going to share some of those insights with you today. And my colleague Susan Critton and I did a full afternoon workshop on writing your bio. And this was specifically for coaches to help them write a bio that speaks to their constituents. But we'll also share um, some of those insights here with you today so that you could help improve or so that you could improve your bio, whether that's a, a LinkedIn profile summary or a a bio that you have on your company's website, or maybe you are an entrepreneur and you have an About Me page, we're going to share some of those insights with you today. Closer to the end of the show, uh, share some of the other insights that I got from the other presentations first, starting with an insightful presentation by Hal Gregerson, who does research on innovation. And I think innovation is one of those hard topics because everybody wants to say that they're an innovator. Everybody wants to be innovative. And yet it needs to be productive when we're being innovative. It needs to be in, in a good direction. You know, that's the difference between a loose cannon and initiative is is, is what we're doing productive? Or is it just innovation for the sake of innovation, creating something cool for the sake of creating something cool? Or does it actually add business value or value to whatever group of people that is our audience for whatever we do? So Hal brought up some poignant ideas about how innovators do things differently and he went around and interviewed great innovators names that that we would all recognize of course and companies that make the list of the most innovative companies so he's interviewed the CEO of companies like GE and Tesla you know, names that we would all recognize in terms of of companies and individuals gone around, interviewed those folks and learned from them how they get the ideas that they need to be innovative. And if you look on his website, Hal Gregerson's website, he provides five skills Used by innovative leaders that distinguish them from others. And I'm going to share some of the insights from his presentation within the context of these five skills that he has on his website just to get a little bit more structure to it for you. So he talks about questioning and posing questions that challenge wisdom. And this was the main focus of his presentation at the conference was really about how do, how do these individuals come up with great questions? How do they know what they don't know? And if you've ever seen the quadrant of, you know, what do you know? What do you know that you know? And of course, in the bottom corner is the information that we don't know, we don't know. Those things that we're completely unaware of, and we don't, have any knowledge so we're in the dark that we're even in the dark it's that blind spot if you will and that great innovators ask questions that help people get to that area that help them understand what they don't know and help the people that work from them also uncover their blind spots and hal asked You know, great question of all of us in the audience that he also asks of the people that he works with. When was the last time you were wrong about something? So, you know, when was the last time that you asked a question and were wrong or that you were, you know, uncomfortable asking a question? Because usually when we're asking good questions and the right questions, it's uncomfortable. It's something that people don't want to hear. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But questions. Do you ask enough questions? Do you ask big, open-ended questions of the people around you? We have to be careful of, of asking questions that are leading people to the answers we think that, that they should come up with especially when we're a leader within an organization? Are you asking questions that challenge the common wisdom, that really get people to tell you how things are going, not just the answers that you think you want to hear? That's hard for leaders to ask those questions. I think it's hard to admit sometimes that we don't know, and yet, that's what he's talking about here, that we can't innovate if we can't admit that we don't know and if we can't ask the questions that uncover those blind spots. His second skill is observing. And he told the story of CEO for a package packaging delivery company in India, kind of the equivalent of the UPS here in the U.S. And how this CEO would have delivery trucks pick him up from the airport instead of a limousine or, a, a you know, a nice car. He would have the delivery trucks pick him up so that then he could watch and observe and listen and ask questions of the frontline person that picked him up. Now, since the kind of popular show here in the U.S. where the CEO goes undercover and sits on the front line. This isn't a novel concept by any means. And yet, how are we applying it within our role within an organization? Whether we're a CEO, a C-level person, or a frontline manager, are you really observing what's going on in your organization and looking for opportunities to improve in a meaningful way? What opportunities do you have to observe what's going on? And Hal asked the question how many barriers do people have to cross to get to you? So, how many barriers are there between you and your customers? How many barriers are there between you and your frontline employees? And sometimes those barriers can be levels of an organization, sometimes they can be more cultural. And, and perhaps there's a cultural barrier between you and the people who are even directly below you and they don't share this feedback with you because of something that's going on with your culture. So how often are you questioning where things are going and how things are going so that you can find ways to innovate, one of the other questions that Hal asked was how long do you wait quietly for others to answer your questions? And he brought up the point that asking the right questions takes listening. As- asking the right question- questions takes paying attention to see what other people might, might not be seeing, to not just ask the questions that are on the surface but to ask the questions that take it deeper and this of course is one of the very important skills of a coach and when you're in a management position occasionally you take on that coaching role in one way or another and to think of ourselves that way as listeners first are we listening to what's going on and then how long are we waiting for people to answer our questions when, when we do ask a question? Most of the time, we tend to jump in faster than we need to, especially in a group situation or small group situation or a meeting. The, the silence after you ask ask a question should be somewhat uncomfortable to give people enough time to think about it and to also... Make it clear that you're actually looking for a response to that question from the people in the room. And especially if you're trying to change your culture, trying to change this innovation in your organization, letting people know that you're serious about listening to the answers to your questions is important. Seems like an obvious thing, but... Watch how much leaders in your organization ask questions and then don't necessarily wait for the answers or aren't really interested in the answers after all. Along with this same story of the gentleman who's having his drivers, delivery drivers pick him up, is is Hal's third skill of networking. So, meeting people with different ideas and perspectives. If you're a leader, how often do you get outside of of your circle, maybe to talk with other leaders or to network vertically across your organization? Experimenting, so experiencing different ways to do things, playing around, not being afraid to try new things with with your organization, with how you do things how you communicate, how your organization is functioning. Are you, do you have ways that you can experiment without, you know, taking everyone through the ringer and experiment to see if the innovations work? And then making connections between questions, problems, or ideas. And, and this is his last skill of associating. Making connections. So if you are in a leadership position, Or perhaps in a different position where innovation is important for you, how are you getting outside of yourself? How are you getting those new ideas in and incorporating them, experimenting with them, learning from other people, sharing with other people? I love this because it highlights the all-important concept of relationships that we talk a lot about on this show Three or four of his five skills require you to talk to other people and have those relationships. You can't be an innovator behind your computer 90% of the time at work. It comes from the idea of the Gamba Walks where you're, you know, leaders walking around their organizations, kind of silly that that was such a huge aha. But the idea that we as leaders and as individual contributors really need to be engaged with the organization, to truly innovate in an effective way. We're gonna come back in just a few minutes, kind of finish up this idea of innovation and dive into some of the other great insights that were shared at the ICF conference last week. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm.
0: Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Alcohol contributes to America socially, economically, and culturally. But alcohol also impacts our health, safety, and quality of life. On Alcohol Across America, each week we present recurring issues related to community, liability litigation, social and college drinking, and the alcohol industry. Join host Dr. Brad Krever and his co-hosts every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Managing to Make a Difference, every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant.
1: Welcome back to The Career Confidant. Today we're talking about the insights that were shared at the International Coach Federation Converge Meeting in Washington, D.C. last week. And we've been talking a little bit about Hal Gregerson's opening keynote speech that he gave around innovation and this idea of questioning and, and really asking great questions of ourselves and of our organizations to move forward and innovate. One of the techniques that he talked about was called coaching burst. And this is something that you could do problem solving for yourself, problem solving in a group. You could perhaps use it within an organization. It's a technique that I also saw Greg Lavoie use um, when I saw him speak this spring. So Greg had coaching burst trademarked. but I I don't think it's a necessarily a, Topic that is just for just through him. I've seen other people do this. So the idea is when you have a problem or you're struggling with something, an interaction with a, a person, a, a challenge that you want to overcome, that you sit down with your group and you just ask questions around it. So brainstorming questions When we did it with Greg Lavoie, we did it with a group of about 90 people and just popcorned questions toward an individual who was trying to figure out how to interact better with their teenager. Funny that that was one of the examples that uh, Hal used as well uh, with a, a CEO that he'd worked with and just asking questions. What, how, why, where, when types of questions around the challenge, not answering them, not worrying about what, you know, what the next step is, but just sitting there and asking questions around that challenge. It is a kind of a neutral way for people to help someone solve a problem without giving advice or moving them in a specific direction. So it can be a great way for a leader to help a team without stepping in and kind of having that stereotypical position as the leader. And, you know, just thinking about this whole topic of innovation, I was struck by the fact that, to me, it kind of skipped a step that... Asking these questions and being aware of what you don't know you don't know is critical. And yet where I've seen leaders fail is that when they get those answers, when the blind spot is uncovered, there's no action there. And that's, of course, what all of the CEOs that Hal is talking about do really well or they wouldn't be successful. We wouldn't be talking about them at all. So what do they do with that information? How do you keep yourself open enough to not only ask the right questions and get the information, but to use some of the other skills Hal was talking about on his website, where you're actually experimenting and and trying new things within the organization? You have to have both to be able to ask the questions and find out where there might be opportunity and then to have the organizational support and emotional awareness to try and do things differently and not have the ego that stops you from taking those suggestions and doing things differently. Most of the process he was talking about in some ways, lets a leader come up with the ideas that may have more success being implemented that way. But I think good leaders are also able to take other people's ideas or let other people implement their ideas, take them and run with them, and not be the only innovator. See that a lot at, at Google. The other piece for these leaders, and I've seen kind of the other side happen as well, is when you're so focused on innovation that you're wearing your teams out constantly, consistently, shiny object syndrome. So there's got to be a balance somewhere here between what innovations need to happen and are productive and effective and When is it just innovation for the sake of innovation? So are you listening? Are you asking the right questions? And if you're really doing those things, you can have much better luck being open to trying new things and really paying attention to balance and innovating productively. So that's how Gregerson great work that he's doing on innovation, his latest book that he was speaking from, The Innovator's DNA, Mastering the Five Skills of Disruptive Innovators. Great speaker, good information, lots of fun there in his session. So the next activity during the conference was Susan Critton and I giving a afternoon long workshop around creating a bio and although this was specifically for coaches to write a bio that would connect with their target audience i'll give you a few bits here that will be helpful for you if you're writing your own linkedin profile professional bio to market yourself first piece of course as we always start with is Who is your target audience on LinkedIn? That's a little bit more challenging because you only get one LinkedIn profile and we want to make sure that it speaks to your audience in a good way, as much as possible speaking to as many people in that audience as possible. And we talked a little bit about themes So themes can help you write a bio that appeals across your audiences. I like to think of it as kind of taking a 30,000-foot view of your career. What are some of those themes that happen no matter where you are in your work? What are your strengths? What are those pieces of who you are that show up? no matter what type of work that you're in. So passions, some people say values, interests, strengths. What are those pieces of you that show up no matter where you are? I find it's easier when writing a bio to start with the pieces and work our way towards a theme versus trying to come up with the big picture first. I I tend to like to find the big picture first, but with bios, that can be challenging. It's easier oftentimes when we look at the pieces. So looking at stories, and Susan talked a lot about stories and the importance of stories in a world where we're bombarded so much with information and facts and even stories. Stories are the things that stick. So you want to think about stories that you can tell about your work that will appeal to your target audience. So Susan gave some entry kind of sentence completion activities for people to come up with some of the content for their bio and to really think about, you know, when are you at your best? What are those high points for you. People call them a peak experience. Those times in your career that stand out to you where you really remember feeling alive, feeling on fire, feeling like you are just exuding the best of who you are. Maybe working on a certain project, maybe in a a certain setting, looking back on your career and really thinking about those times when you were at your best. I do this appreciative inquiry process with my clients to really look back and think about what were the best times in their career? When were they the happiest? What were they doing? When did they feel like they were really using all of their skills? Some people would call this flow, right? When you lose track of time and you're You're just so engaged in what you're doing. When we look at those experiences and we dig into those stories, that's often a place where we can find themes. What are the commonalities between those experiences when you really felt like you were at your best? And then what are those areas that other people recognize your expertise or where other people comment on your strengths? What do other people say? About you, what you do, what you know, what you're great at. Start collecting your testimonials, things that people have said about you, your performance reviews. What are some of the themes there in what others say about you? This can be a nice way to get started for people who struggle with the idea of kind of bragging. Go and look at what other people say about you so that you can. Take their words. And then what are some of the personal things that you want to share with your online, especially with your online audience? What do you want them to know about you? People go online today to learn about other people. They don't necessarily want just that professional persona, the polished corporate bio if you're talking about putting some kind of bio online in any form or fashion, you want it to include something that goes beyond the professional. So something unique about you, personal accomplishments that you're comfortable sharing, like maybe you were on marathons or you were you're a, a track coach whatever those things are that might help people connect with you on a more human level, where you volunteer, what you do with your your free time. How can people connect with you beyond just the professional? And you want to think and spend some time there, something that will allow people to make connections with you and something that you're comfortable sharing. We wanna find a good middle point there. So you're collecting all the data, kind of answering those questions, thinking about themes that run between your stories of accomplishments. What do you want people to know about you? And when we come back from your our break, give you a few more insights into content that you might want to put into your bio before we move on here to more insight from the ICF conference. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm.
0: Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. If you're looking for an in-depth, thought-provoking discussion about leadership, Tune in to Bernard E. Robinson's The Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Each program provides an intelligent, conversational experience about leadership from Bernard, his guests, and you. If you're interested in improving the quality of leadership in your organization, listen live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Leadership Forum on the Voice America Business Channel. Starting and running a business can be hard. Moving forward and keeping the excitement alive can be difficult to do. I'm Joe Hosman. If you are experiencing the struggles of opening or sustaining a business or even knowing you need a change in your life, you want to tune in to my show, Go For It. My guests and I will show you the steps needed to build something positive in your week. Listen every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant.
1: Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking about the insights that were shared at the ICF International Coach Federation conference in D.C. this last week. And Susan Critton and I did a session on writing your bio, talked a little bit about the information that you might gather to put in that kind of a bio, your peak experiences, what are some of the themes there, your strengths, what do other people say about you. And as you're gathering that information, you're looking for themes, and you start to, to kind of put it together. Susan encouraged people to think about how do they connect to their audience? And this is more challenging, perhaps, on LinkedIn to really think about who our audience is. And of course, if we're writing on LinkedIn, we want to make sure that we're not overly job search focused there, especially if we're employed. But even if we're unemployed, we want recruiters to almost see us as our current hiring manager would see us. So we want them to see us as happy and successful where we're at, not necessarily as someone who's marketing and outwardly promoting themselves to a different organization, it's kind of that idea around, you know, same thing as dating that if we're too forward, it's unattractive. Same thing applies to recruiting. So we want to think about how can we tell the story of, of where we are as happy and successful in our career right now. So that audience might be your vendors, your your, your suppliers, your customers, your employees. And I would encourage you to write with that lens whatever position in you are in organization who it makes sense to be your main audience and of course if you're writing a bio for a proposal or some of those things it makes it easier because you know who your audience is and you want to think about in that first paragraph how can I share the information that is most important to that audience and in a way that really connects with them so if you and I were walking down the street and I said, you know, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. What do you do? Tell me a little bit about what you do for work. What would you start out with? Probably not, well, I have a PhD in blah, blah, blah. Or I went to school at this place and then I went here and then I went there. You would start with a everyday human interaction conversation language about what you do. And if you don't know much about me, you'd probably boil it down, make it pretty generic and easy for anyone to understand. If we were meeting at an industry conference, you might be more specific about what it is that you do. We want to talk in terms of of what we do, not necessarily in terms of titles. So if I say, well, I'm a career counselor. I'm a career coach. It makes you either in or out if you know what that means or not. So we want to say something more like, Well, I help people figure out what they want to do with their next step in their career. Something that anyone could relate to. Then you could talk more about your accomplishments, give an overview of your background maybe more of a narrative of your your story, highlighting the things that are most important, share some of your credentials, and then make sure that you're weaving in some of those humanistic pieces about what you are outside of work, your hobbies, your interests, your passions, because we want your bio to be of interest to the audience. And depending on the audience, usually at least a little bit of of something more personal is going to help them do that. So that was our presentation about bios and gave people an opportunity to do some writing, get some feedback. It was quite a bit of fun. Then we moved on and went to some other presentations during the during the course of the conference. And one of them was about sharing of personal information, which when you're coaching is a challenging thing to put boundaries around, right? When you're a manager, how much do you interact with your employees? How do you build that healthy barrier that says it's professional but still be a human with those employees. I think we all struggle with those boundaries of relationships within any job that we do, with coworkers, with managers. If if you're a coach working with a client, you want a healthy boundary. And yet you need to be human enough with that individual that you can build a relationship because that relationship is going to be the most important piece of your success together, And so in the relationships that you build, how do you decide how much you'll share or how much you'll interact with those that you work with? Do you go out to drinks with your employees? Do you sit with them at lunch? I mean, that's kind of a, sounds childish, but we have to make all of those decisions as a manager to balance those boundaries, and to build relationships in a healthy way, show those people that we care and that we are accessible without overdoing it. And part of this conversation was a presentation by Beth Below, who talked about how to decide what to share. And so, I loved what she talked about in one specific story. She talked about sharing on Facebook an experience that she'd had where she had just found out she wasn't selected to speak at an event. And you've all seen these types of messages, whether it's on Facebook or even in person, where people are sharing for the hope of Being validated, the hope of being built back up by others. And when we do that, it really doesn't work. What I loved about what she talked about was she was talking about sharing the lessons that she learned from that. So, not a share where it's, you know, tell me that I'm great and and make me feel better, but it was a share of, you know, I just found out I wasn't selected to present at this event. It made me remember that. Disappointment is a good thing, that it helps us move forward, that it teaches us lessons, that it motivates us to keep moving. And she talked about sharing our scars, not our scabs. And I love that. So as a leader, how can you share stories that help people see that you're a person? Demonstrate empathy model learning for your team, but making sure that we're sharing our lessons, not necessarily those wounds that that haven't healed, where it might feel like our team is being expected to build us back up or step in and fix the problem, instead of stories that give people some insight into who we are, show that we're human, that we've learned lessons and sharing stories that really add value to our clients or to our team and help them move forward. What's the lesson? What's the takeaway that can help them move forward from our story? And people want to know our stories, right? People want to know where we've come from as a manager that can help us build our rapport, help build respect. And yet it's important that we think about what stories we share and the voice in which we share them so that it builds those healthy relationships and doesn't get in the way of having the relationship that we need to have to be productive in the work that we're going to do together, whether we're teammates, manager colleague, manager, employee, or a coach working with a a client. People want to see your credibility through your stories. They want to be able to connect with you. And the stories that we choose to tell are very important in achieving those goals versus Perhaps whittling away at barriers that we need to be effective in our work. So, last thing that we're going to talk about when we get back from break is a very insightful presentation around silence and silencing. People talk a lot about microaggressions and bias. This is the first presentation I'd been to someone talking about silencing and the, the issues that can arise when we're silencing other people or when we ourselves are, are silencing ourselves or being silenced at work and not having an effective voice as a leader or even as an individual contributor. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about silencing.
0: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant.
1: Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking about some of the insights gained from a ICF, International Coach Foundation, conference that took place in Washington, D.C., last week. So this last presentation that I went to at the very end of the conference was packed full, and the title was Silence, The Silenced Female Leader. Very powerful title, powerful images that that even brings up to us thinking about what happens, and what does that even mean to be silenced? So, Coaching the Silenced Female Leader by Carrie Arnold. And this was some data that she had gathered through her PhD research on women specifically who are silenced in the workplace. I think that this can happen to both women and men. And Carrie was very clear that even when we're talking about the silenced female leader, that most of the time this silencing happens by other females, by the organization as a entity, the culture, the structure, or by oneself, so it's not about, you know, men need to do things differently and, and stop silencing women. It's deeper than that. It's a cultural issue and um, oftentimes, based on her conversation, something that may even go back to people's childhood or make them more susceptible to this or make them more susceptible to self-silencing. So, what does she mean by silence? Silencing. So, it's when someone feels muted, suppressed, or muffled. It's not just in one meeting where maybe you can't get a word in edgewise, or, you know, in one week you're having a hard time getting people to listen to you. This is a consistent, persistent, Issue for an individual who's being made to feel or making themselves feel kind of um, invisible. So they can't talk; they're they're not heard. They may be dismissed or not listened to on a consistent basis. And when she did her research, the female leader had to feel this way for two years consistently to be a part of her study. And more importantly, perhaps she talked about purposeful voice and the importance of purposeful voice as a leader. And this is something that applies to all of us and any level of leadership male or female the idea that we are having a purposeful voice expressing ideas informations or opinions with decisiveness intention and resolution and agency so making things happen with our our voice you people you know those people at work male or female who talk to hear themselves think who don't don't bring that sense of agency and purpose with what they say. And eventually, these people can be less effective, even if they aren't necessarily being silenced, because they're not using their voice in a purposeful way. Voice efficacy is the term that she used for a repeated pattern of purposeful voice, The issue with self-silencing or being silenced by others showing that these people who do this or are feeling this don't trust themselves. They don't make decisions based on the best information that they have. So some of this data was done with nurses and doctors and would show that nurses who kind of felt as a group silenced by their physician group would actually not do the best thing for the client, for the patient, because they felt silenced by the physicians, because they felt a lack of power, a lack lack of voice. And so there's some real issues that happen in a company when this is going on whether it's females or males it doesn't matter when our organizational structure or people within our organization are silencing other people within the organization this becomes an issue for the business for their productivity for their safety it's it's a big issue and I've seen this happen in organizations where very strong executive leadership groups, who in this case do happen to be mostly male, have a culture, not necessarily even spoken, right? So much of what we communicate isn't spoken, that the culture is created that people are not, to dissent. They're not to have dissenting opinions, they're not to communicate any ideas that may not be aligned. And when you get that level of silencing, then of course circling all the way back to the beginning of our call, you cannot have innovation, you can't have change, you can't have true safety, you can't have true interaction, you can't have relationships, interaction between your teams. Because people are not talking. They're muffled. They're suppressed. They're feeling muted. And Carrie also showed her data that indicated a huge physical impact, physical consequences from this happening for individuals where they were having severe body reactions to this suppression heart issues respiratory issues lots of throat issues very interestingly the pain in in the throat that was common among these women when they felt like their voice was being suppressed just so amazing how our bodies and minds all interact. So I encourage you that if you're in an organization that has this culture to start thinking about how you can address this. And one of the ways that Carrie found people could turn, turn the tides and not feel as silenced or start working to be less silenced Were to figure out what is causing the silencing, to name it, to talk about it with their coach in a safe space, of course, to describe it, to realize how they're being impacted, and then to find a community, building rapport, rapport with a community who can understand that, and also to give others voice. So if you're in this kind of situation and you're a leader, How can you help those beneath you have more of a voice? How can you rise above and help them be purposeful with their voice, teach them to, to have voice efficacy where there's a repeated pattern of them using their voice for a purpose, and encourage that among your team research, Carrie's research shows that that will also help you improve your purposeful voice and your voice efficacy. So some intriguing research going on there around this idea of silencing and the impact it's having on organizations and individuals. I hope you'll join us next week. We have some guests coming on here in the next few weeks, people that that I met at ICF who have great insights to share for you as a leader, as a career mover and shaker, and we'll be bringing them to you as we continue to go through the show. So, we'll see you here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank
0: you for listening to The Career Confidant,